Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your father has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the reading of God's word. Thank you, Toby, for reading the scripture today. you know, how it usually happens is those who are reading scripture, they're given a passage um, prior to Sunday, and I'm sure when Toby saw this passage, she's probably thinking, oh my gosh, how long is this passage? Um, but I actually did you a favor, Toby, because actually what I really wanted to um, preach from is the whole chapter, right? So I try to cut it down a little bit. So let me read to you verses 1 to 10, because I think this is all important for this passage as well. Luke 15, 1 to 10 says this, just before the parable that Toby just read, it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then from verse 11, the prodigal son uh, that we just heard. This is God's word. Um, Today and this month, we are calling it Missions Month. Uh, part of the reason is because, as many of you already know, uh, the missionaries we support, Paul and Susan, of course, they're back in the States. They will be joining us uh, more, I think, consistently starting this month and next. Um, and so I thought it would be a good time, along with the missions committee, to emphasize missions a little bit, especially since we have a missionary here. But I do want to emphasize this, that missions isn't just about Paul and Susan, Right? As much as we support them, it isn't just about Cambodia or Southeast Asia. It's something much bigger. And we don't really talk about missions as much in the church as I think we should. We don't, I think, appreciate how important uh, the work of missions really is, not only for the church, but also for our lives. And so what we're going to do in the following Sundays is during our service, we'll be taking some time to pray for some of the places out there, some of the uh, country, some of the nations that need people to go to to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But along the way, what I want to do, and I begin here today with this passage, is to kind of emphasize why we should even be interested. Uh, why should you even care about doing church stuff, uh, Jesus stuff, Bible stuff, halfway around the world uh, with people that you don't even know? Uh, especially when there's things here that we could be doing and maybe should be doing. Uh, why even talk about missions? Why even think that this is such an issue? Why, why be concerned with it? Uh, why don't we have a heart for it? And I think that's what we want to look at here. Now, I've done this passage many times, okay? And you've heard probably even better sermons from the parable of the prodigal son. But what I want to do is to look at this parable of the prodigal son and, and show you in its context, I think, what Jesus is telling us as individuals about why we should care about even missions and why we should have a heart for missions. When you read verses 1 to 10 in our passage, the one part that I just read, notice how this passage begins. Tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus... The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, were grumbling, complaining, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So immediately, this chapter begins with three players. You've got tax collectors and sinners, the bad people on one hand. You've got Pharisees and leaders, the religious people, the good people on the other hand. And then the third character here, or the player, is Jesus himself. Three players, tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and leaders, and then you have Jesus. And what we see here already in this chapter in verse 1 is that the sinners and the tax collectors are drawing near to Jesus. And I want you to notice something. It's always that group of people. It's always in the Bible, in the New Testament, those kind of people, the sinners and tax collectors, right? The bad people who are always gathering around Jesus, and it's always the former group. It's always the Pharisees and scribes, the religious people who, who seem to be complaining all the time, grumbling at what Jesus is doing. 
It's the people like the tax collectors and sinners who seem to get Jesus the quickest, that seem to come to him the fastest. And it's always these religious people who are having issues with that. And what is Jesus doing here? What is the issue that these religious people have with Jesus Christ? What's he doing? He's hanging out with the wrong crowd, the sinners and the tax collectors. And so that's how this chapter opens up. And in response to those religious people, we are told in verse 3, Jesus tells them this parable. That's what it says in verse 3, okay? A parable is a familiar story meant to teach a simple truth. But what's interesting in this chapter is that the number 3 seems pretty important. Notice in verse 3, he, Jesus, we're told that he told them this parable, singular, right? A parable. But as you read this chapter, it seems like we don't just have one parable, but in fact we have three. We have the parable of the lost sheep, verses 4 to 7. One out of a hundred gets lost, go gets it, rejoicing. But then in verses uh, 8 through 10, we have another parable of the lost coin. One coin out of 10 gets lost. The woman finds it. She rejoices. And then we have a third parable in verses 11 to 32. A brother is lost, then is found, and there's rejoicing. So do we have one parable, as verse 3 seems to say, or is it three? I'm not sure if it really matters, but I think it shows us that if you want to understand what the prodigal son parable is about, you need to understand the whole chapter and not just that one story. Because there are similarities in all of these parables. Just like the beginning of the chapter, there are three players, sinners, Pharisees, and Jesus. So too, many parables, especially in the ones here, have three players right? The lost sheep, the shepherd, the 99. The second parable, the lost coin, the woman, the rest of the nine coins. And in our last parable, the lost brother, a father, and an older brother. Do you see the similarity and connection here? There's another similarity in all of these parables. There's a crisis Something is lost, and then it's found. A sheep is lost, and then it's found. A coin is lost, and then it's found. A brother is lost, and is found. And there is rejoicing at the end of each parable. It goes to show us that this whole chapter needs to be read together. But as much as similarities there are, there are also differences. If you read this whole chapter from the beginning, and I'm giving you a little Bible study, I know, but follow me. There's a progression from lesser to greater. The first two parables in our chapter are about our sheep and coins. They involve animals and inanimate objects, but the last parable deals with human beings. It's greater. The first two parables, the sheep and the coin parables, they're much shorter, but the prodigal son parable is quite long, isn't it? Also, that which is lost 
one sheep out of 100 is not quite as much as one coin out of 10. In fact, one coin here is a day's wage, probably worth more than just one sheep. But in the third parable, what do you have? One brother out of two. An increasing progression we see. And even in the rejoicing after each parable, right? After the first parable, verse 7, there's rejoicing in heaven. But in verse 10, after the woman finds the lost coin, it talks about the presence of the angels of God rejoicing. But in the third parable, there is no mention of rejoicing in heaven as such. But the difference is that there is a feast of rejoicing in the Father's house, not over one sheep, not just over one coin, but one brother. So the rejoicing is even greater. I am sharing you this because this is just to say that all of chapter 15 belong together as one unit. And the first two parables, the shorter ones, as it moves from lesser degree to greater degree, intensifies with each parable. And the, prime, the climax of this chapter then focuses, brings you to this last parable, the parable of the prodigal son. I think it's the main parable, and this is where the chapter finds its climax. So if you want to know what all of chapter 15 is about, we have to carefully look at the parable of the prodigal son to find what Jesus is trying to say. And what's his point? I'm not going to go over the parable of the prodigal son too much. There's so much you could say. You could probably read about it. Maybe in the following weeks, we'll look at it a little bit more carefully. But just look at this part, the structure here, okay? These parables, crisis, something is lost, sheep, found, resolution. Crisis, coin is lost, it's found, resolution. Crisis, brother is lost, he's found, resolution. But the third parable, the main one, doesn't just end there. There's another crisis. And this is a literary device where you see a pattern happening over and over again. Crisis, resolution, crisis, resolution. But there's something different. There's still a crisis. And what's the crisis? The crisis in the last parable, after the brother is found, is that the older brother is angry. In verse 20, the father goes to this younger brother who we know about already. He's the younger one that took his dad's money and he just squandered it away extravagantly on prostitutes and partying and all these things. That's why he's called prodigal. It means extravagant. So everybody knows reading this parable that this brother is the bad brother, the younger brother. But the older brother is the guy who is at home all the time being faithful, doing all the work, right, in the fields, working his father's land. And the father goes out to the older brother in verse 28 says come on in your younger brother's home we're going to have a party and the crisis he refuses he refuses the father invites both sons to come to his house but in the end of our parable here this story it's the lost son it's the bad son the younger son that goes in but it's the good son, the older son at the end of our story that gets left out. 
And I think the hearers of Jesus Christ, those Pharisees and scribes, stunned because they're hearing a contradiction to everything that they've been taught, that the lover of prostitutes, the one that spent all his money and wasted ways, enters into the Father's house while the good moral man doesn't get in? That doesn't make any sense. But look at the way this older brother, look how angry he is. Verse 28 to 29, he complains to his father. He says in verse 29, he says, look, dad, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed anything that you said, but you've never given me a party. And yet when this son of yours comes home, you give him a fattened calf. Do you hear the way that this older brother is angry, that something is off here? In verse 29, he addresses his dad, look. Now, you know, maybe in our culture, that's normal for us. Go to your dad and say, hey, look, dad. No, the word in the Greek is very emphatic. It's the way you talk to a young child when you're reprimanding him. And this older son is talking to his dad like a young child. Look, dad. And then he says, I've been slaving. And I've never disobeyed. Look at the language that he uses. There's something wrong with the way he talks. I've been slaving for you. I've been obeying your orders. That's not the language of a father, of a son to a father. That's the language of a slave to a master. And then he speaks of his younger brother as if he has nothing to do with him, as if he has no relationship with him. This son of yours, he says. So the question is, why was he so angry? Why did he not want to go in to his father's house to celebrate? And I think we can all relate with this. I'm an older brother. I understand, I think, a little bit. It was unfair. I think he just thought it was unfair that his father would just welcome this younger brother back with open arms, even after all that he did. I get that. We all get that. How could you do that? How could you, Dad, just take him back in after all that he did to you? But the other reason he was angry is because look what I've done. I never did any of that. I never left home. I stayed with you. I did everything for you. I took care of you. I worked hard for you. He didn't deserve a party, but I do. I do. And I don't understand. The older brother in our passage thought he was in because he deserved Everything because of what he's done. And the younger brother, he thought, was out, should be out, because he didn't deserve any of it. Now, as Christians, if you're a Christian, you know about this word grace. 
Most people like the idea of grace. You got something you didn't deserve. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, isn't it? But practically, here's why it's hard for many of us who don't understand grace as well. Imagine you taking care of your elderly grandfather for years until he passes. Imagine this, how hard it is to take care of our elderly, which is, I think, something that we're all going to go through in the following years. But imagine you are the one, and even though you have siblings, you are the one who has been taking care every single day, everything that your grandfather needs in his old age, while your siblings have done absolutely nothing. But imagine this, that at your grandfather's passing, there's a reason of the will that he had left an inheritance for his family and in that will your grandfather has left everything to your siblings and nothing to you how would you feel oh that's grace you wouldn't be that way would you you'd be upset it's not fair and this is why Christianity to many people is a stumbling block. We like the principle of grace, we can understand it, but we don't like it how it applies to our lives. It's, it's, it's not about fairness, it's about grace. Tim Keller, uh, in his commentary on this passage, puts it very insightfully. He says this, quote, The moral people say good people are in, but bad people are out. The relativists say open-minded people are in, but the bigoted, judgmental people are out. But Jesus here is saying, it's the humble that are in and the proud that are out. The people who know they are not good, and yet they are in. And the people who think they are good are the ones who are out. End quote. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus gives this parable. Three parables, one parable, I'm not sure. But he gives this parable specifically to criticize the Pharisees and scribes, those religious people who were criticizing him. Through this parable, Jesus is piercingly Revealing the faults of the Pharisees and scribes. Those who thought they were so Christian because they tried so hard to live a good life. Those that thought because they go to church and that they serve and they try to do everything right and yet grumble and complain when they don't get what they want from him. Not really understanding what grace means. What Jesus is trying to show those people is that they were the older brother that we see in this parable. They thought they were in these Pharisees, but the sinners and tax collectors, they said they should be out, and yet Jesus was eating with them. And what he's saying in this parable to those Pharisees and religious people you are the ones out, and the sinner and tax collector are in. And I think when they heard this, now you know, right after this chapter, why they, why they wanted to kill him, why they wanted to crucify Jesus. 
Now you know. But here is, I think, even bigger. What is so dramatic about this added portion of this last parable, this crisis with the older brother, is this. What is dramatic is how much the older son does not understand his father's heart. Think about this. What did the father want in this story? What did the father really want? Of course, he wanted his younger son to return, to stop wasting his life and come back, and he patiently waits for him. But, but think about this. What did the father really want from his older son? Did he just want his older son to work like a slave in the fields while, with the other slaves while the prodigal son receives all the blessings? Is that all he wanted? No, you read verse 31. The older son is still his son. He says to the older one, everything I have belongs to you. Then what did the father want from his older son? When you read all three parables in chapter 15, did you notice? In the first one, a sheep is lost. The shepherd goes out and finds it. In the second parable, a coin is lost. The woman goes out and finds it. But did you notice in the third parable, the lost brother, no one goes out to find him. He just comes to his senses and he comes back on his own. What did the father want from his older son? And it's this. If this older brother, if this older son really understood his father's heart, he should have left the field. He should have left his home and he should have gone after his younger brother. That's what he wanted. And Jesus here is talking to who? The Pharisees and scribes, those religious people who were criticizing him because he was receiving and accepting tax collectors and sinners. And he's saying to them that they are the older brother and they have no idea to what the God that they serve really wants. They have no idea the heart of their father they say they worship. But what is Jesus doing? Verse 1. He's accepting sinners and he's eating with them. You see this? Jesus is doing what the older brother in the parable and those religious leaders, for that matter, failed to do. He's reaching out to people like sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is the one. He is the true older brother who understood his father's heart. And he left his heavenly home and came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. 
And you are here because Jesus, your older brother, understood his father's heart, left his home, and came into this world to bring you back to his home. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And this is what's going on in Luke chapter 15. That's the Father's heart. You know that's his heart now. Those of us who are by faith here, to go, to leave the comfort of our homes, or at least to step out of our comfort zones, the bubbles of our lives, in order to share our faith with those who have yet to hear. Do you ever do that? I'm going to be honest. You have more opportunity to do this than I do. As soon as they hear I'm a pastor, it's game over. I deal mostly with people who go to church and then a few who don't, but you every single day, you're surrounded. Do you ever think about talking about your faith? Some years ago, there was a man by the name of Raymond Teller. He was a magician, and he met another man by the name of Pendulette, who was a comedian. So these two brothers got together, and they formed an act, a magic-slash-comedy act, now famously known as Penn and Teller. Pendulette, the, the comedian, is a flat-out atheist, still is, complete atheist. But this is what he says, quote, I've always said, I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell, and people be going to hell or not, get eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it will make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. But this is more important than that. This guy, the guy who was sharing with him, was a really good guy. He was polite, honest, sane, and he cared enough about me to share and to give me a Bible, end quote. He's still an atheist, but that's what he said. Friends, we think that in order to share our faith, um, in order to, to be involved with missions or even outreach, that you know, those are for the spiritually more mature people, right? Those are for the spiritually more 
you know, I guess even religious people. And I'm not there because my heart is not burdened really with that, and that's not my thing. And oftentimes we think, oh, you know, our heart needs to be convicted of this. But here's, just, here's my point. Even if your heart isn't fully burdened with missions, even if you're not called to it, does it matter? Isn't it good enough to know that though your heart may not especially be burdened with such things, that your Father in heaven's heart is? Isn't that enough to do what pleases the Father? And so we need to pray. We need to pray for that. Not just missions abroad, home, in your circles, at home, you know, with your family, friends. Think about that a little bit more this month, at least. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love and patience. We thank you so much for the myriad of blessings, not just spiritual, but even material. The things that we've been blessed with so much here on this side of this planet. Often things we take for granted. We pray that you'd always help us to be grateful. Help us to be good stewards. Help us to, to enjoy the many blessings you give to us to its fullest but at the same time, uh, to give you glory and thanks. But Lord, once in a while we pray, at least once in a while, that you would open our minds again, not just to what we have in our hands, but also to, Lord, what you see, what your desires are, not just our own. We pray, Lord, for the, the, the people around us, the people at work, the people at home, the people we don't even know and see. That, Lord, if your heart is for them, we pray that our heart, because it's for you, would also in some way be for them. So we pray that your heart would be ours. And if your heart is a heart of mission, then we pray in some way that would be our heart as well. So, Lord, we pray that you would do the work through people like us, sinners and tax collectors, whom you have made brothers and sisters. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.